Welcome to the Milk and Motherhood podcast, where we're having an ongoing conversation about breastfeeding, postpartum, parenthood, the challenges these can present, and the hope we have for overcoming them. I'm your host, Therese Dansby. I'm a registered nurse, international board-certified lactation consultant, and homeschooling mom of three. I believe that navigating the rough waters of early motherhood with wisdom, grace, and humility can grow each of us into the mothers we long to be. Hey guys, today's interview is with Dr. Molly Hayes. She is a functional and aerocentric dentist practicing at Mimboka Dentistry here in Omaha. She became passionate about airway issues in children when she noticed her own child had many symptoms of sleep-disordered breathing. So she became a Healthy Start provider and has helped hundreds of kids achieve natural palate expansion and relief from their symptoms of poor sleep. She's an infant tongue-tie release provider and a proud ambassador of the Breathe Institute. Most of the time, you'll find her at home with her four kids in her vegetable garden or attempting yet another sourdough starter. This conversation with Dr. Molly was really fun for me because I have met her a few times in person and we treat infants in the same town. I do share a little bit about my own experience in these areas, both as a parent and as a professional. I always hesitate a little bit how much to share about my own kids, but at the end of the day, I don't want you walking away from this podcast thinking that I'm telling you what to do and leaving you feeling like you should have known better or you should have done something differently because I have learned so many things the hard way and I love being able to share what I know now. If I can just help one parent make a little bit of a different decision down the road, this is just information for you to have in your back pocket. If and when you notice red flags or you need to make some sort of decision for your own child's health. So with that being said, Molly and I just jump all over the place. This is a great conversation and I can't wait for you to hear it. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Molly. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved all your guests. Thank you. Could you take a minute to introduce yourself for people who don't know you? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Dr. Molly Hayes. I am a functional and airway-centric dentist practicing at Maboka Dentistry in Omaha, Nebraska. I was a traditional dentist for many years before I just realized I, I didn't have a passion for it. So I followed my heart and my passion down the airway rabbit hole, mostly because my own son struggled with some sleep disordered breathing and I wanted to be able to help him. And in the process, I've been able to help hundreds and hundreds of children with the same problems. I'm also a mom of four kids. I'm actually home most of the time, homeschooling and kind of amateur homemaking, gardening, sourdoughing, all the things. Sounds sounds like a familiar kind of (laughs) balance. Sounds like a lot of people we know, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe not balancing it as well as I like to think. But how many days a week are you at the dental office? I'm two days a week. It's perfect for me. Um, And really just kind of switching my focus away from traditional general dentistry. I still fix, you know, cavities and broken teeth. And I still have elements of traditional dentistry for both adults and children in my practice. But over the last year and a half, it's been a slow towards just focusing on airway, everything from infant tongue ties to treating sleep disordered breathing with the Healthy Start appliance, getting into palatal expansion, which is really exciting for me. So hopefully, you know, my goal is maybe another year and I'll just be doing all of the airway stuff. 
Okay. So for people who are just brand new to this concept, like what on earth does a dentist have to do with an airway? Let's start way back in fetal development. How do you do the airway and the palate form? And then we'll go from there. Sure. I was never interested in all of this like embryology in school. And then mm -hmm. once I got into the airway, I went back and I was like, this is so fascinating how it all comes together. It's really miraculous if you think mm -hmm. about it. But starting with the sixth week in your utero, we see the three pieces of the palate start to kind of fuse and come together. And it, you know, not a lot of people realize the palate is also the floor of the nose. So that's fusing with the nose. It's separating from the bottom jaw. The palate is separating. All of this is happening beautifully between the sixth and the eighth week of embryological development. And a lot of things have to have to happen perfectly, of course, as with the rest of the body. It's just an absolute miracle that it happens. You know, the tongue kind of has to get out of the way of the palate for it to form. And the mandible, the bottom jaw has to be growing down and forward to get out of the way of the palate. So that's all happening between that sixth and the eighth week. And then around the 12th week, there's a little cord that we all have under our tongue called a frenulum. The internet and social media has nicknamed all of it a tongue tie. But around that 12th week, that cord is supposed to kind of let go and let the tongue go so that it can go to the newly formed palate and start to kind of broaden and expand. And the airway where we breathe will follow suits of whatever the palate is doing. So, so that's the formation, the beginning of it all. But what we're seeing is sometimes this isn't happening. Sometimes that palate isn't broadening in utero and babies are born with a very hot, what we call a high vaulted palate. So you think about a 12 foot pointed ceiling versus, you know, like an eight foot really flat. And we want that broad, flat, low palate so that we can have a nice healthy airway. So it's not the end of the world if a baby is born with a high vaulted palate or a tongue tie, thank goodness. In this day and age, we have a lot of things that we can do to kind of redirect after the baby is born. Yeah, I was fascinated with all of that too, learning about like the concept of midline defects and yeah, embryology, oh, yes. the way you just like uncurl and unfold and isn't it um, so amazing yeah. and like I think it's just I think a testament to the beauty of creation and God's intelligent design that it all just happens mm -hmm. even when it doesn't happen perfectly that we you know we can we've learned so much about how we can redirect that yeah I had two babies with high palates and I oh, just yeah. had no idea even that alone makes breastfeeding a little bit uncomfortable. Yes, it does. Yes. Just draws the nipple a little higher and a little more pinched than it was really meant to be. So yeah. Yes. I've been there too. <laughs> yes. So what did early motherhood and breastfeeding look like for you? If you don't mind sharing. Oh, I don't mind sharing at all. I think it's a big piece of my journey to airway dentistry. I sure could have used somebody like you. I didn't have a knowledge lactation consultant. I always intended to breastfeed. I just assumed it was going to be fine. But with my first, I mean, she just, we got home from the hospital. Everything's always fine in the hospital, right? That's what I hear from other moms. Those first 48 hours are just fine. And the lactation consultant in the hospital, like gives you a thumbs up and sends you home and you assume it's going to be like this glorious scene in like a field, you know, with like flowers <laughs> and butterflies. And it was not, um, my daughter just couldn't latch, not mm. that like it was painful, but she would like prepare to latch and then like get within a half an inch and then just start screaming. Like she couldn't do it. Mm. And 
I had no idea what a tongue tie was. And I was a dentist at the time. Mm -hmm. Ankyloglossia was a term that they use in dental school for like five minutes. And they're talking about adults and that's it. And there's, you know, it's in like a pathology class and then they move on. So like how to recognize it in infants or how to treat it. And so, you know, we go to the pediatrician for that, like two or three day checkup and I'm falling in the office because she's not eating. And the pediatrician says, I don't know, I'll send in a lactation mm. consultant. The lactation consultant comes in and says, I don't know. And the oh, general gosh. consensus, is, I know yeah. this is like in, this is like in Chicago too, you know, yeah, it wasn't that long ago, right? Seven years ago. Yeah. yeah. So, I but I guess it shows you like how new mm. a lot of this research and treatment is, but I just, the consensus was you just need to bottle feed and you have mm. to feed the baby. And I was told fed is best a lot. Mm. And, you know, we can kind of discuss that whole <laughs> phrase later. I don't know mm. how you feel about it. Yeah. I formed new thoughts, but I did, I pumped and I bottle fed her for six months before I just couldn't keep up with the pumping and switch to formula. I was just burnt out. So I didn't discover until maybe two years ago when I started going down this rabbit hole, I said, Mara, will you lift up your tongue? And it's mm -hmm. like, just so mm -hmm. obvious, you know? Oh no. So with my second baby, it like kind of started happening again. He was better with breastfeeding, but not perfect. So I was kind of doing a little bit of both bottle feeding and breastfeeding while his issue was different. I, he like choked on a bottle, oh. like he aspirated milk and he ended up with aspiration pneumonia oh my gosh. in the hospital. It was awful. So he was in a, he had a feeding tube kind of like they use for like NICU babies. He had a feeding tube mm -hmm. for several months. And as a result, really high palate. And so, you know, I first noticed his symptoms around the age of three, like I heard him snoring and grinding his teeth. And that's when I started going down that rabbit hole of like, what can I do? I work in the mouth every day. Like there has to be something I can do. So yeah, I guess I owe a lot of this to my first two kiddos who had to go through a lot, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and they all had to learn together, but it's led me to be an advocate for moms who are having trouble breastfeeding and are getting their their worries swept under the rug. Yeah, it's very real. And like, I believe that the pediatricians want to help you. It's just that they're not trained in oral yes. assessment and that's fine. Yes. So just refer on yes. to the next yes. person. That's yeah. a really good way to say it. I don't think that there's a lot of, you know, pediatricians who are trying to do harm, yeah. but the general consensus I hear is they just say it's normal or tongue ties aren't real. I don't know. <laughs> you, I mean, mm -hmm. the, 10 years ago when I was a new dentist, maybe I would have said that too. So we all, we all just have to have a commitment to learning and doing mm -hmm. better. Yeah. Yeah. Science is never settled. That was like a phrase in 2020. Yes. And I'm like, who is saying that? <laughs> Not a real scientist, hopefully. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So much, even just because my oldest is eight and so much has come out even in that time about tongue ties. So you think so, so too, because mm -hmm. it seems like even some of the four and five-year-olds that I meet in my office who mm -hmm. are tongue-tied, the moms are like, I literally had no idea. Nobody checked. And then when you ask them about their breastfeeding journey, they're like, how did you know? Yeah. How did you know it was painful? Or how did you know I had postpartum depression? How mm -hmm. did you know that they had colic? So I'm kind of trying to figure out when did it start clicking for a lot of people? Was it just two years ago? Mm -hmm. So new. Yeah. I'm trying to think, cause I had to go really out of my way to, to find these things eight years ago. Oh, um, boy, I bet. And I'm trying to think even five years ago, at least in Kansas City, there was kind of a team forming around mm -hmm. this. I think it's very location dependent. Yes. 
I'm finding that true. Yeah. So welcome to Omaha. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I can't believe how far some people have to travel, but oh my gosh, like props to these parents who mm-hmm. make all these sacrifices to travel, you know, across the state of Nebraska. It's, you know, in the winter. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I know we need more. We need more. If there's any providers listening, like we need more of this. Yeah. And sometimes you do have to release the tie, but this is a team approach. You know, the first question I want my, my team at Maboka to ask on the phone is, okay, who have you seen? Have Mm -hmm. you seen a lactation consultant? Have you seen a chiropractor? We'll still see any baby, you know, that's not a prerequisite, but I firmly believe in this team approach with airway And for babies, I'm not a lactation consultant. I need the lactation consultants to say, okay, it's more of a positioning issue or baby looks like they have some tension or no, I truly believe that we might be looking at a tongue tie here. Yeah. There's a lot that falls under that category of like oral motor dysfunction, even like your first baby. I'm just thinking I have so many thoughts about even just a little bit that you said about her getting close and then like the, yeah. the the amount of organization it takes in a baby's brain to like Ugh. actually latch. You think it should yes. be, a re- and it should be a reflex, but sometimes other reflexes can be getting in the way of it too. There's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. It's so nuanced, which is why I haven't done an episode specifically on tongue ties because people get so tied up about things that they hear on a yes. podcast and they're like, well, I should always do a revision or I should never do a revision and I'm like we're not I'm not gonna say that hot button topic and you nailed it I'm also very careful what I put out there in social media I try to (laughs) it's um, you know it's a topic that I tend to just give generalities about because you're right like these things are like fingerprints they are so unique Mm -hmm. and so complex and we're still learning like I'm still learning I haven't been doing this for a decade and we're learning as we go, but you know, when you're this, you're there and you're advocating for the patient and the mother, and you wish the very best for both of them, then, you know, that's going to lead you down the right path to say, okay, well, like, let's hold off on the, the revision. Let's at least talk with a lactation consultant or a body worker. We can always come back because what I'm finding is that tongue ties are not emergencies. Most of the time, if baby is okay, and we're producing wet diapers, and is getting something, then it's not an emergency. It's better to kind of like take our time and make sure that we're hitting the checkpoints. Yeah. And I think that especially some moms who are just feeling so uneasy about it. I'm like, if you feel this uncomfortable with it, don't do it this week. Wait, wait two weeks. That Um, is so important. I actually, I learned that from Dr. Chelsea Pinto. She's, she does infant tongue ties with the Breathe Institute and she said to look for that. If parents aren't sure, don't even think about, mm-hmm. you know, doing that release today because it is very emotional. I can't even imagine I have not had a baby have a tongue tie release. I can't even imagine that feeling of like somebody taking your baby to do this. And we all know that it's for the best of the baby, but you know, it's, it is, a, it's a very emotionally charged procedure. And I feel like if the mom is uncomfortable with it, then if it's often going to be a rougher transition through the first few weeks post revision. And then often there's some frustration with the provider who like, quote unquote, made you do it. Right. Um, I never, ever want to be in that place as a provider or, I mean, I've, I have had three babies with tongue tie. Well, 
two were revised as infants and one was revised as a toddler. And I'm really glad that I did it on my own terms. Yes. All three times, even though with the first two, I maybe would have done things differently, but I'm glad that I did them the way I felt comfortable doing them at the time. That's really good. I hope there are a lot of moms that are hearing your story and saying, okay, take a deep breath. Yeah. It's not an emergency. (laughs) You know, sometimes you just have to let like news, good or bad, like sit for 48 hours before, before you react and make a decision. I agree. Yeah. And often there are some parents who are like ready to go. Yeah. (laughs) Some are. Yeah. I see a lot of like fourth and fifth time moms and they're like, they come and they've got like their bottle of like Arnica ready to go because they just travel (laughs) two hours and they're like, Nope, we're doing it today. And that's great too. You know, everybody's just at a different point in their motherhood journey and breastfeeding journey. And you just you meet them where they're at. Yeah, it's a major practice as a parent and just listening to your intuition. And then a provider should be honoring that too. Yeah. And it seems like more people that end up at Maboka are there with, you know, like they want a second opinion or they didn't feel heard. And you know, that's disheartening. And sometimes I wonder if it's just kind of the way that we were trained, you know, in dental school and medical school, it's just fix the problem, get in, get out. Like, I don't remember a single class on like, you know, patient communication or patient (laughs) empathy. (laughs) You have to learn it on your own. And sometimes the type of person that's drawn to medicine or dentistry is not somebody who that comes naturally to. Yeah, I would agree with that as a nurse which was my initial background, even just switching over to lactation, it was really uncomfortable for me to not have an answer. And yes. I think it's even more so with like, so again, a pediatrician, I'm not bashing on them, but if they don't have a way to fix this problem, then it's hard to mm-hmm. diagnose the problem. Like this isn't something I have a tool for, so I don't know what to call it. I never thought about this. I mean, it does take so much humility as a healthcare provider to say, I don't know. I don't know if it's embarrassing, but just to say, I don't know, actually can lead to a lot of really great things for the patient. And for the provider. I mean, again, I'm speaking on this issue on both ends. I feel like a much better provider when I went through this season of like, why are my patients dealing with persistent nipple pain when I cannot tell any other issues, you know? Yeah. And of course that sent me down the whole rabbit trail of all of these things I know that's where the growth happens kind of in Mm -hmm. that tension and that discomfort of not knowing all the answers right yes yeah and so I love it when other providers are willing to talk about it you said something just to back up really quick about teeth grinding now I will say this was with my oldest too was a teeth grinder and now as he's losing his baby teeth I'm just looking at them and I'm like oh my gosh (laughs) short. (laughs) I'm glad we dealt with this now, but can you explain the connection between teeth grinding and airway? Sure. I can speak to it from an airway perspective when it comes to the airway. So sleep disordered breathing, which is a disruption in oxygen flow while you're sleeping. And we see this in a lot of kids because of underdeveloped airways, they're breathing through their mouth at night not on purpose, just the body needs air. If they can't properly breathe through their nose, the body's going to default to breathing through the mouth to stay alive. Well, that's not good quality oxygen. The oxygen that you breathe through your nose is the best air you can bring into your body. The nose filters and warms and prepares that air to be received by the lungs. But when you breathe through your mouth, we're not getting that filter. It's just coming into the lungs kind of raw, unfiltered. So the body kind of acts like it's not getting oxygen. And so the body goes into fight or flight 
And a lot of these symptoms that we see with kids who have sleep disordered breathing, the symptoms are associated with the fight or flight response, the body trying to stay alive. And the body is very good at protecting itself and staying alive. It's going to do some things that are harmful to the body for the sake of living. So teeth grinding mm-hmm. is that fight or flight response. The body is in distress. Hmm. Same with bedwetting past a certain age. So when we see like a seven or an eight-year-old who consistently wears pull-ups to bed, like can't go to bed without a pull-up, that nighttime uresis is associated with the fight or flight response. Like wake up, I'm not breathing. That's a very effective hmm. way to make the body wake up is to hmm. at the bed. So night terrors, that's a fight or flight response. Wake up, I'm not breathing. So I think it's really important for every child to be screened. I try to put the symptoms out there as much as I can, like on social media and on my email list. So that if you do see something like try to get to somebody who can help. And I know it's really hard. If you go to a dentist, like if you had come to me 10 years ago, I would have, I would have repeated for verbatim. What my professors told me is they will grow out of the teeth grinding. Mm -hmm. You have to find somebody who's not going to feed you that. No, they're not going to grow out of it. If your child is grinding, their body is in distress while they're sleeping or, okay, you need to find the root cause basically. Yeah, that is, uh, I mean, I was a teeth grinder for a long, long, really? long time until I started getting body work as an adult. And yes. yeah, and that helps too. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, let's see. So you talked about uh, an early development in utero. So then let's talk about what happens when you're born. So how do breastfeeding, bottle feeding, pacifiers, how do the, those things all affect the airway? Yeah. Well, let's start with breastfeeding. You know, it's not a slam dunk that if you breastfeed your child for any amount of time that they're going to have this beautifully formed palate. No, it's just, it's the first thing that you can do for your baby is to invest in breastfeeding and make sure that is a, everything is working properly because what happens is the baby in order to expel the milk presses the nipple with their tongue to the palate. And the tongue is the best palatal expander that you'll ever find in those first couple of years in life. It's strong. And the palate is very moldable. It's very soft. Like if you were to put your finger on a baby's palate, you wouldn't want to press too hard because it's so soft. It's like Mm. the soft spot on their Mm -hmm. head. It's like Play-Doh. And so that's good. That's intentional. It's so that we can form that broad roof of the mouth with the pressure of the tongue pressing on the nipple. So then we talk about bottles and pacifiers and bottles might be more of your area of expertise. I'm just learning. I learned from your course, what bottles to get and that I was using Perfect. like all the wrong ones. Perfect. <laughs> because um, the they're mar- advertised <laughs> as like orthodontic. Yeah. Bottles and swaddles are the mm. two things that I probably ordered the most off of Amazon. My first two kids, like this okay. one isn't working. They're not yes. sleeping or they're not eating or they're colicky. So I've, I have every variety, but I can't bring myself to donate these bottles because I'm like, they're all the wrong ones. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, I think you guys mentioned in your course at the even flow bottles, you want something with a deep latch, you know, so I don't know if there's anything else besides even flow out there right now. Yeah, there are, the even flow is almost too wide for some babies, actually, especially if they're having issues, but there are multiple, really what we want is for the baby when the baby's latch to the bottle we still want them to have that wide angle in the corner of their mouth we don't want them puckering we don't want them just latching onto the nipple we want them like at the base of it so there's there's probably half a dozen bottles that are um, oh that's good good to know yeah that's excellent to know perfect yeah there when I share this episode I'll share that post again that Courtney made oh perfect 
we don't want it to look like the breast at rest. We want it to look like the breast during a feeding because some some of those bottles look like a boob yeah that's what tricked me yes and Mm -hmm. it's like oh it's super wide at the base but then the baby's like (laughs) pinching its lid on that that weird little abrupt transition from those were the ones just like you know milk just running down their neck the worst yeah such a waste of money (laughs) they can't seal around right so there are some there are half a dozen that have a really gradual transition but we don't want the ones that just look like a cartoon boob or the ones that look really pinched <laughs> I've seen the nipples angled. that look really pinched too like oh yeah. my gosh but like truly when you're a mom you're like oh I mean I don't know like yeah that looks good that sounds good yeah <laughs> so. advertising does its job <sighs> yeah like, it oh. does orthodontic and the orthodontic stuff I can understand technically calling it maybe you have more insight on this but because you don't want any bottle or pacifier pushing against their palate for an extended amount of time so I think they were like oh well we'll squish it so it's not putting pressure up there and then we'll call it orthodontic I don't know that's yeah yeah no I agree with you and I guess my thoughts are there's nothing as orthodontic as the tongue. And yeah, that, that lingo is, I think, playing to parents who are like, I want to avoid braces one day. And does orthodontist recommend it? I don't know. And I had read somewhere by another airway dentist a couple years ago that there is no such thing as an orthodontic pacifier. Mm, yeah, I believe But that. I think what we are learning is that there are some shapes of pacifiers that are not as good. I actually, I think I learned from you that the Ninny mm-hmm. is the ah, best pacifier to go yes. to. So thank you for that. But nothing is more important than when you can transition your child away from the bottle and from the pacifier. I think, yeah, good bottle choice is important. But when I see like two-year-olds walking around the playground with like a bottle of what I presume is milk because it looks, you know, like milk, Mm -hmm. filler, cow's milk, just like walking around and they're just like chewing or sucking on the nipple that's like this Mm -hmm. long and this skinny, I just... I have to like catch my breath and say, okay, no one has asked for my advice here at the playground. So I'll be quiet, but you know, that is not appropriate. Like Mm -hmm. two-year-old doesn't need a bottle. You want to choose to breastfeed your two-year-old all the power to you. That's great, but that's different, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and same thing with pacifier, like six months, just plan on it. If you're a new parent, set yourself up at six months, you're going to start that journey towards letting go of the pacifier and you will thank yourself for it when you don't have a three-year-old walking around with a pacifier and thus in what we call an open bite where the front can't even touch. They're so flared. And then like all of this need for palatal expansion, which is very hard to do on a three-year-old, but that's when you should do it. Mm-hmm. Have a child who has that high of a palate and that open bite due to a pacifier. So doing these hard things like transitioning away from the bottle into a straw cup or an open cup and just getting rid of the pacifier. Little things make a really big impact on the rest of their life. Yeah, I I have been thinking about that lately because my third still uses a pacifier. But he's like one, <laughs> Only at right? bedtime. He just turned <laughs> there one. You go. There and you it's go. at bedtime and nap time because my kids are kind of horrible sleepers. I mean, <laughs> which I'm finding is more than episode. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I'm so like, I, if you use the little mini pacifier to fall asleep at night, I'm just going to pick my battles. You have already completed step one of yeah. pacifier weaning per Dr. Molly's unofficial pacifier yeah. weaning manual <laughs> is to take it away during daytime and just transition at night. Yeah. So wherever you are, 
you know, whether you have a six month old or a one year old or a two year old, the first step is to take it away during the day. So yeah, some people are like ready to go cold turkey. I did that once and it was like one week of horribleness, not as bad as I thought. I think a lot of parents think this will be like months of sleeplessness. And I don't know, maybe it will be if you have a very very strong-willed child, which it seems like your third might be. (laughs) Feisty third child, they have to stand up for themselves and defend themselves, right? But but you know, you just, you have a, I think if you have a plan in place, you know, like we're going to slowly kind of get away from this, then you're okay. Yeah, and we've never used it really just because during the day I mean that was kind of always my thing in my head it to me I always tell people I'm not an anti-pacifier lactation consultant they're just a symptom of a problem and not they're not always well said yes for you they are the cause of a problem but for (laughs) me with breastfeeding they are really just a symptom of a problem they're not causing breastfeeding issues per se But Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. And I think just not even providing one during the day, providing it while a newborn is trying to go to sleep, not just Mm -hmm. sticking it in their mouth every time they get fussy. Like, I mean, you can speak to this more than I can, but if baby's hungry, like do not give them a pacifier. Yes. Give them food. (laughs) Yes. And I did that with my first because I was not a lactation consultant. I was just a nurse. I was a nurse and I was like, (laughs) I'm following the rules. So therefore, like, I mean, I was feeding him eight times a day. He was eating for like an hour at a time, which in my head, red flag, he was cluster feeding all the time, not just a few days in a row. But I was like, I'm feeding him. I'm checking all the boxes. So when he cries after a feeding, I would give him a pacifier. And then, you know, three weeks later, he's not at birth weight. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) but I was following all the rules. You were doing all the right thing. Learn better, do better. What can you do? (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, that that is my varied stories with pacifiers. (laughs) You know, yeah, you have to do what works for your family. I can just give you my recommendation based off of what I see really like, I mean, you really want it gone before the second birthday. How about that? Like, oh yeah, that, it, that, it really, that's it's easy. gotta be gone. I can yes. do that. Yeah. You can do that. Yes. Yeah. But a, a lot of moms think they can't. And they want to, if you are one of those moms, no one's judging you, but just know that you are so much stronger than you think. And children don't know what's good for them. Unfortunately, you know, mm-hmm. I know we live in this age of like choices and I think that's great. I think that there's a time and a place for like kind of letting your child decide and providing choices, like which pair of pants do you want to wear today? But like, do you want to let go of your pacifier? You have an open bite that's causing a speech impediment and, you know, future orthodontic problems. That's probably not (laughs) a choice I'm going to give my child. Yeah. It's not fair to them. No, Um, they're counting on us. We have to do these hard things. Sometimes it's hard. So just know, like, I think you and I are both very empathetic to what that's like as mothers that there's like this rule and it's hard, but like, also like my heart goes out to you. Best of luck. (laughs) We're here for you. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about matrescence on the podcast and it's all part of just becoming, finding out who you are as a mother and owning that and moving forward in that. And it takes a while. It is a process. Yeah. And sometimes uh, it changes and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And you just, you have to choose your battles. I don't want somebody (laughs) hearing this and being like, I'm still giving a pacifier. I mean, (laughs) we moved here when my daughter was two and she was not really a pacifier kid. And then while we were moving, she somehow found a pacifier (laughs) and started it at age two, started using a pacifier at age two. Oh my gosh. But I was like, we're moving. 
I'm not like everything is already yeah. chaos. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to do this. Your, yeah. Your peace yeah. is the most important thing because then your children get their peace from your peace. Yeah. So, yeah, understandable. And oh, I gave it to her know. at nap time and I was like, what am I even doing? But that's really funny. It's fine. Once things settle down. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Kids look to things for comfort and pacifiers are a comfort object. And so yeah. Like you, I'm not an anti-pacifier dentist, just as long as you've got a plan for, for letting it go. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, boundaries, which are a big thing in motherhood. Oh, I know. So important. Yes. So a lot of comments that I actually get about breastfeeding are about, I'm only going to nurse until my baby has teeth. Okay. Or what? Or I'm really nervous about when my baby gets teeth because they're going to bite me or oh, okay. like teething or teething is so uncomfortable. I'm just anxious. I, like, I don't this was not on my radar as a new mom, but it's something that I actually hear a lot. Okay. So yeah. You know, I guess I can speak from experience because my third and fourth babies were able to nurse very well past their first birthdays. Um, so babies get their teeth at all different times. Some babies mm -hmm. teeth at four months, which is super early. And some babies get their first tooth around their first birthday. This is all normal. It's like an eight month window of normal. So you know, if your baby is getting teeth at four months, I would feel bad for a mother who feels like they have to give up their breastfeeding journey that early. That seems early to me, but you know, it's everybody's journey. I'd say do what works best for you. I think you just kind of have to transition, right? Like, can you speak to that from experience? I can only speak from personal experience. Like, yes, that does feel different. We're just kind of transitioning and it kind of seems like baby has to learn not to bite and just to kind of just to do it differently, it seems like. Yeah, to me, it seems like babies go through a biting phase, whether they have teeth or not. Yes, and their so, gums are very sharp. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, I mean, it's going to hurt either way. If a baby's a very, very consistent biter, they probably, I am a fan of like baby myofunctional therapy, mm -hmm. if I can find a provider, because some babies do have like an inappropriate response to having things in their mouth and they just want to bite when they should be sucking. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. So it needs some like myofascial release almost. Yeah, I, I just worked with a really unique lady in Kansas City who would utilize the baby's reflexes, right? Like for yeah. a while, they have the sucking reflex and they will mm -hmm. lateralize their tongue when you do certain things. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, it was really helpful. So some babies are going to bite no matter what, and it doesn't mm -hmm. really matter if they have teeth or not. That's kind of what I'm telling mom. Like, obviously we want to, you know, get your finger in between their gums so they can't bite down and say no biting and come nurse again in five minutes. Yeah, it's kind of like a redirect. That was what I remember doing is like, let's take a moment or like switch breasts, and, you know? Yeah, just, just distract. <laughs> yeah, and some of my kids had teeth at that age and some of them didn't. So I don't think that is unique to teething necessarily, but I, w I guess I will say also in personal experience, when my oldest kid who did not get, I didn't really know about tongue ties when he was a baby and his latch always like kind of sort of hurt. When he was a toddler nursing, I would have like teeth marks when he was done nursing. Oh, not because, <laughs> I know, not because he was biting me, but because yeah. his latch was narrow yeah. and his mm -hmm. teeth were just resting there. I mean, he wasn't yeah. doing damage, but I was yeah. like, do other people have teeth marks? So <laughs> that's not normal. Yeah, um, that's a that yeah. is a good sign to to maybe have things checked out, have that palate checked out. That's a really good point. 
for me, I was, when it kind of got to that point, I was kind of just done when like we had, yeah. you know, 12 teeth and like yeah. even a molar <laughs> popping in. That's when I just was, you know, it was a personal choice just to be done. So yeah. I would say, yeah, just, I think people think lactation consultant for like that, those first few weeks of life and no, why not lean on a lactation consultant as long as you want to continue your mm-hmm. breastfeeding journey. Yeah. Yeah. I love getting weaning consults and all sorts of things. So yeah. So from my perspective, breastfeeding shouldn't, or teeth should not impact breastfeeding. So yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, I think as long as you're committed to keeping those teeth clean, because as soon as a tooth pops into the mouth, it can get a cavity. And I know there's a lot of discussion about breast milk causing cavities and there's just like, you know, there's like a line and you're either on one Mm -hmm. side or the other, especially (laughs) providers, but you know, cavities are very complex and they're multifactorial. So if I say, make sure if you're breastfeeding and your baby has teeth, clean them, that doesn't mean I think that breast milk causes cavities. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just the tooth is now there. It's exposed to everything It's exposed. If your child is a mouth breather, the tooth can get a cavity. If you're introducing solids, because teeth come in, you know, kind of around the time that you would introduce solids anyways, the tooth can get a cavity period. It's in the mouth. So clean it. Yeah. I'm a little bit guilty of not always doing that. I'm just going to confess all <laughs> well, It's of really my, hard. <laughs> it is. Or my five-year-old reminds me the most. She's like, did you brush Isaac's teeth? I'm like, no. It's probably the least fun <laughs> part of any mom's day, right? At night when you're yeah. already tired to fight a one-year-old or two-year-old yeah. on brushing their teeth. They're so feisty. Oh my gosh. Mm. And it's just like an, a complete invasion of their territory. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I tell parents who are struggling, if you're going to brush the teeth at nighttime, brushing is the most important and something is better than nothing. So if you're not brushing your toddler's teeth for a full two minutes, because nobody does, something is better than nothing. I still use, I give her a toothbrush, a little mm-hmm. silicone brush. And then I give her like floss or something else. So her two hands are busy. Mm-hmm. And then I still use a finger brush because she still oh. wants to like bite down. And so I use it like as a thumb protector or a finger protector in case yeah. she bites me. So I just get in there and I make sure that, you know, I get at least the molars in the front. It takes about, I'm in, if I'm in there for 30 seconds, I feel like I did a really yeah. good job and then yeah. she's welcome to go back in. So, you know, it's, I, but on the flip side, I'm stickler. I do not give my kids like crackers or anything that's yeah. going to stick in the grooves. Mm-hmm. I know that whatever they ate today is probably clearing from the teeth pretty well naturally, like cheese and apples. Those are good, like food clearing, like, sorry, bacteria clearing foods. Okay. So, but parents who are allowing crackers and no judgment, just if that is like your lifestyle right now, or if your child goes to school or daycare and they provide like sticky crackers, you're going to need to get in there because those Mm -hmm. suckers stick. And even if you can't see it, like, you know, goldfish stick in those grooves and you're like, you can just see that neon orange color. Well, (laughs) even if you think it's gone, it's probably not. So you got to get in those grooves with, you know, like a regular bristle toothbrush and just get in those molars. Yeah. Yeah. It Um, takes like days for a hole to start mm. developing, unfortunately. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. It is interesting. The debate about cavities and nighttime breastfeeding and my understanding, I think we're on the same page as this. If somebody already has cavities, they might consider night weaning, but if they don't already have cavities, night weaning in and of itself or night breastfeeding in and of itself is not going to necessarily cause them as long as all else is going well. The most of the 
breastfeeding children that I see, and we do see a lot of prolonged breastfeeding, like, you know, to mm-hmm. three years, yeah. um, those children tend to be mouth breathers. So again, it's multifactorial. Mm. You start this. The process. ones that have cavities that come in. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like they are breastfeeding, but they're also mouth breathing. Mm. So you just have to you just, you have to say, we can't look right at one or the other. They might be playing off of each other. Not that it's breast milk. It's just that it's, it's something else. It's food. It's not water. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know, it's a complex liquid. I read this interesting study and I should send it to you because I don't, I can't quote it exactly, but they did this study where they took like, you know, extracted baby teeth and they just soaked them in just breast milk Mm -hmm. and took them out Mm -hmm. and the teeth were fine. And then they did like a breast milk and sucrose, so sugar water solution and put the the breast milk, the teeth in that mixture, took them out and they were like completely bombed out, holes Mm. everywhere. And then the last one was baby teeth in just sucrose and they weren't as bad. They were not great, Mm. but they weren't as bad as the breast milk sucrose mixture. I thought that study was fascinating. Like you can put baby teeth in just sugar water And they don't do as bad as the mix of breast milk and sugar water. So I guess Hmm. the takeaway from that is, you know, you're introducing solids, you know, around six months and, you know, fruit has sucrose in it. So, and it's everywhere, right? Even if you're not feeding your baby, just straight sugar and candy, you're feeding your baby fruit, but then you're also breastfeeding that mixture might not fare well, especially if your child has the tendency to mouth breathe. So it's really complex. So providers who say, breastfeeding causes cavities. I'm sorry. That is terribly oversimplified. Yes, it is. You know what? This is such a homeschool mom thing, but as you're talking, I'm like, (laughs) I've been wondering what to do with my eight-year-old's teeth as he loses them. And now I'm like, (laughs) science experiment. (laughs) Oh my gosh, please do it and then document it. (laughs) Yes, I should. I mean, I have breast milk at my disposal. This is wonderful. Oh, I should go buy like pop or something. And all right. Do it. This is the only way to know, Therese. (laughs) Yeah. I'll take Um, rigorous scientific detail. He'll probably, please do. This is science class. Yeah, I have some. I'm like, got it. Oh, I'm so excited. I need to decide what to do with my children's teeth. I just had this conversation (laughs) with a friend the other day. Now I know. So, all right. They seem so precious. It's like, oh, I remember when you got that tooth. But like, in the name of science, we're going to sacrifice these teeth. Yes, (laughs) because you don't need them in 20 years. I'm so excited. (laughs) Stay tuned, everybody. Yeah, thanks for that idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so let's see. We've covered a lot and I want to kind of wind up. We got, we have some Q&A questions. I think that we've covered a lot of them. One question was any correlation between palate issues and behavioral problems? I love that question because the answer is yes, but maybe not in the way that people think. So a high vaulted palate associated with a narrowed airway associated with sleep disordered breathing. So not getting enough oxygen at night, just having a terrible night's sleep. When you mouth breathe, that is not the best sleep that you can get. You're probably tossing and turning. You're never going into like, you know, that good REM sleep, that deep, restful, restorative sleep. So a lot of these kids are waking up and they just feel like garbage. And what comes out is behavioral issues. So like on my sleep disorder breathing questionnaire, I ask parents, are there issues with ADHD? Are there some issues with following instructions and routines? Do we have any daytime grumpiness going on? So a lot of times kids who are diagnosed with 
ADHD in schools or just, you know, you know, failure to cooperate or whatever. Um, they actually are just sleeping horribly because their airway is not properly developed. And so, yeah, I see high palates in probably 80% of my patients. It's just, Trace, it's like an epidemic and it's disheartening and fascinating. And I have so many questions as to why is this mm-hmm. happening? I feel like, you know, I mean, I didn't have braces as a kid. I felt like, you know, I didn't know a lot of people who had cavities as a result of, mm. you know, sleep disorder, breathing, mouth breathing. I don't know. You know, some things really seem to change for these kids. And I can only hope that parents and teachers can can maybe take a step back and say, is this child really like giving us a hard time? Are they really like, you know, there's not bad kids. There's just kids who are trying to tell us something, right? And so sleep is so crucial for children. I take sleep very seriously. I make a lot of sacrifices. I skip a lot of stuff that's happening late at night because I want my children in bed between 7.30 and 8 every night because I know how important rest and sleep is for their growth and development and their happiness. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like palate and behavior are symptoms of yeah. a bigger symptoms. problem. Yep. Not a direct correlation, but a good reason to, to evaluate for sleep disordered breathing. Yeah. Perfect. I just have two more questions from the Q and A. So one is, does infant stomach sleeping affect the airway and mouth different than back sleeping? Oh, that's a good question. I never Um, thought of it. I never thought of, well, so yeah, positioning and sleep is really important. I've seen a lot of pictures in some of the courses that I'm taking where you know, they're sleeping on their stomach and their cheek is like really pressed into the mattress. And it seems like their head is kind of contorted in a way Mm -hmm. that kind of opens the mouth. And so, yeah, I think, I don't know about the whole like back is best thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know, or whatever that phrase is, but yeah, I think stomach sleeping can be problematic for the positioning of the neck because it can kind of open the mouth and it kind of shoves the nose into the mattress Mm -hmm. too. And so then if the nose is shoved into the mattress, they're going to default to mouth breathing. So that's such a good Mm -hmm. question. I might have to do more research on it or ask one of one of our chiropractor friends. They seem to be the experts. Yeah. Let me know what you find out because I've seen babies choose to sleep on their stomach with their Mm -hmm. head and back arched back because they have airway problems. But I'm like, I don't think that the stomach sleeping was causing it. I think you're right. It's probably more of like a symptom. I think I've just read something about like tripod sleeping, you know, where their butt is kind of up in the air. Yeah. yeah, uh, That was my first child. Like classic. I I look back and I kind of wonder if it was mine too. So that's a symptom, not Mm -hmm. a cause. Right. So Yeah, I think that's just something worth investigating. I just, I can't sing the tune of chiropractors enough. I think that they just help babies so tremendously. I think routine chiropractic care is like, just, I think it's the best thing you can do for your baby to get those answers. Yeah. I never knew there was a name for that. Tripod sleeping. I'm going to look yeah. that up. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I have one more Q&A for you. Why do Yay. maternal cavities seem to increase during pregnancy and postpartum and tooth chipping? That's my problem. Not cavity, oh. tooth chipping. So if you, well, you said that you were a tooth grinder, Yes. sometimes that can come back. So teeth grinding a symptom that you're probably not getting sleep and hello, Mm -hmm. mom, if you're saying your kids aren't great sleepers, like if they're waking up in the middle of the night, are you ever able to get into like that deep restorative sleep? It takes a while. So if you're waking every two hours, you know, because your child is the answer is no, you're not getting into deep restorative <laughs> sleep because it takes longer than that. Yeah. So that's adults do it too. I see clenching mm-hmm. and grinding in adults all the time. And I think a lot of dentists, and this was me a long time ago, 
say, oh, you're stressed, mm-hmm. night guard, protect uh, your teeth. But that's not right. It's an airway issue for adults as well. Okay. So teeth will chip. If you grind them hard enough, the enamel will chip. If your enamel's chipping, that tells you you're grinding pretty hard because enamel's really hard. It's harder mm-hmm. than bone. So want to get your airway checked out. Okay. As far as cavities go, I mean, you just have to think about all of the changes that are happening in your body while you're developing a baby and how all those nutrients are getting sent to the baby. So if you don't have enough nutrients in your body to support both you and the baby, like your body's taking it for the baby anyways, right? What's left for you. And so when, when moms aren't getting enough vitamin D and vitamin K2 in their diet, the teeth really suffer. We have to have vitamin D and K2 in order for teeth to stay healthy. It's not all about avoiding the bad foods. It's about giving your teeth and nourishing your teeth, the good things. So, you know, you just, you have to really prioritize nutrition in your pregnancy. There's a lot of hormonal changes that will change the content of your saliva and Mm. saliva plays a huge role in staying cavity free. Dr. Lydia on social media, she is a dentist in I think Beverly Hills And she specializes in women's dental health. And I love her social media account. She talks a lot about women's dental health and all the changes, you know, pregnancy and postpartum. She's super cool. So I would check out her account, but I would prioritize getting to a dentist, making sure you're getting your teeth cleaned during your pregnancy, just getting screened for cavities the best you can. We don't like to do x-rays on a pregnant woman unless she's having pain an emergency or an infection. Then we have to bend the rules a little bit, but it's just super important to get to a dentist to catch those things early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mom would always swear that she never got cavities till she started having babies. Yeah. And I think every dentist that she's ever seen has been like, well, that's just a coincidence. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't think that it is from what I, I don't know. think so. I think it's multifactorial. I think, yeah. you know, nutrition going crazy and there could be an aspect of like, you know, first trimester vomiting, nausea acid reflux can really affect the health of the teeth too. So it's again, like with kids, it's complex. And I think the best thing you can do is prioritize your oral hygiene. Women are very susceptible to getting pregnancy gingivitis, all the Mm -hmm. hormones. And, you know, you've got like this oversupply of blood and some of that will go to your gums and make your gums bleed. Well, that's not just like, Oh, it's just normal. That could actually affect the health of your bone. Mm -hmm. If you have pregnancy gingivitis. So you want to get all that clean with a dental hygienist what else can I tell you? Yeah. It's a different time. And it's, it's true. I got a couple cavities after my first baby and I had never had a cavity before. No, it's true. Don't let people gaslight you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask the that story. Because, yeah. I'm like, mom, you gotta find a different dentist. Yeah. Okay. So let's see what encouragement do you have for a mom listening? I mean, we covered a lot of stuff. Maybe they're like, I never even thought about that. Or, oh yeah. my gosh, my kid with their butt up in the air or something. And now they're all anxious. Like what encouragement do you have for somebody listening? Oh yeah. You know, anxiety doesn't help. Just asking questions, finding somebody who will be able to answer your questions and really hear you is important. And sometimes it takes going through three or four providers until you find Mm -hmm. that. Don't be anxious. Just be empowered. Form yourself. I think that you and I know a lot of people on social media and, you know, if you live in Nebraska, we have a lot of connections to people who could help you. So just, I don't ever reach out. I hesitate to reach out. I get a lot of people who email me and send me messages through Instagram. Like, 
do you know a provider here? And if I do, I will tell you, <laughs> I don't know everybody, but I will sure help you find somebody or kind of show you what you should look for in a provider. I get a lot of questions like about like, I, like through online questions, you know, my child has this X, Y, and Z. I can't diagnose over Instagram. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I have to kind of let those questions go, but I do have a resource for parents. It's called house okay. call. It's how I'm going to get into everybody's home okay. uh, because I can't go everywhere and you can, I'll send you the link and you can yeah. link it to the show, but it's, okay. it's, it's brand new. Oh, good. Okay. I, I literally launched it to my email list last night. I saw I your email this, this morning. Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's brand new. So it's drmollyhayes.com slash house call. I'll send you the link. Okay. Perfect. I'll put it on my Instagram. You can find it on my website. I tried to be as comprehensive as I can. I just want parents to feel like if they know the steps to take, they will be less anxious. They can feel safe going to a traditional dentist. I hate the stories of, I can't find a functional dentist or an airway yeah. dentist. Therefore, we're just not going. Like That's not the right thing to do. You still need to check and make sure everything is okay. And you know, there's so many great traditional dentists out there. I, I hate to paint this you know, picture of we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. That's absolutely incorrect. I can make recommendations for great general dentists around the country. It's just, you know, some, sometimes we need to educate ourselves and on these airway issues on functional oral health. So do that at home. I have a guide for you that you can get right away and just inform yourself that way. When you go to the traditional dentist and they're talking about things that maybe don't seem right to you, it doesn't have to stress you out. You know, mm -hmm. like go educate yourself online. There's just so many people, as you know, who are giving out free education on social media and on their email list, their blogs. It takes a little bit of work, but knowledge is power, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I like, I do like the comments about, you don't have to go see a holistic dentist every six no, months no. or, you know, pay out of pocket for, yeah. yeah. Please don't, too, yeah, but. please don't skip going to the dentist. That is not mm -hmm. a good idea, but you know, like, yeah, like you said, you could go see a functional dentist. You could travel to see one once to mm -hmm. pick my brain and you'll get a full hour with me, a comprehensive yeah. exam, but then make sure, you know, you find somebody every six months, just stay educated, follow your gut. I think that's an important piece of advice that I didn't always do for yourself. Yeah, just never stop learning and educating yourself. Yeah, I love that. Could you share really quick, we're talking about like all the things you can do wrong or don't know, uh, <laughs> like what's going well for you right now in parenting and work? Like what is a routine or a boundary or a habit that you're doing oh, right? That is such a good question. Okay, I have a lot. Let me pick just a couple for you. Okay. Well, like I said, I think prioritizing sleep and just having this boundary with like you know, party invitations and late night gatherings. We just say no. And we don't give a reason. We just <laughs> say no. Because, you know, you think like, oh, it's just one night. We can do that. For us, it takes like several nights to get back on track. So <laughs> just having that boundary and realizing like, this is a season of our life and it's very short. And one day we will look back and really miss this season of just mm -hmm. having very little kids. We have put up a lot of boundaries with food. And I know we look like sticklers to most of our family members. Like we just, we don't give juice. We don't do crackers. We really want our kids to understand like where good food comes from, why we choose certain foods over other foods. Like what are the important nutrients? What can they do for your health and your body? How does food impact your whole body health? 
Um, so that's, and we're homeschooling too. So typically our science class is talking yeah. about food and nutrients mm-hmm. because I want them to grow up and make good choices when I'm not there. You know, I didn't always make good choices with food mm-hmm. and, you know, I paid the price for it in several ways. So I think food and sleep, those are the best things we're doing right now. The third is I just started my daughter in a healthy start habit corrector mm-hmm. and, and the daytime device. So, so we're setting her up for straight teeth without braces at the age of seven. So we're expanding with it. We're kind of making space between her baby teeth because, you know, she wasn't ever breastfed and it mm-hmm. shows. So just doing like some of the hard things now that might feel tough and stressful in the moment. And then just having like this big picture. Okay. Where are we going to be in 10 years? Because we put up these boundaries and we started these good habits now. And I think we're going to be in a good spot, even though some of the things are like having us grit our teeth, like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like sometimes I just want to like throw some crackers in front of them so that Mm -hmm. I can, you know, have a moment of peace because it'll keep them busy, (laughs) but choosing to do the hard thing now so that maybe we don't always have to do the hard thing. Maybe it can be a little easier later. Yeah. That's a great perspective. Easier said than done. (laughs) Oh, always. always. Even my oldest is about to turn nine and I'm like, kind of having like yeah what is that like oh my gosh we're leaving the little years like (laughs) I know when did it happen (laughs) yeah not prepared for that I know I when I meet so many patients and like they're so young or I mean Mm -hmm. I'm getting older obviously but I just it's so cliche like yes the whole you know the days are long yes I feel like that I feel that longing when I meet like new moms and like this is their first baby and they look like equally in love and terrified and like that mm-hmm. is just like that was such a beautiful time in yeah. life and in, it's gone in an instant so. yes it really yeah. is as yeah. I'm like chewing up I know. Like every episode okay know. oh okay so the last thing is can you, you told us where to find you for the house call can you just tell us really quick your website your Instagram where else we can find you online yeah. so just Dr. Molly Hayes is my website and at Dr. Molly Hayes is my Instagram okay. I'm trying to blog a little bit more, trying to educate a little bit more for you guys. And you can find me at the West Omaha Maboka Dentistry location. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks Yay. so much for talking Thank today. Thank you, Therese. This was yeah. so much fun. Thank you so much for tuning in to Milk and Motherhood today. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to some of the things we talked about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends or leave a review to help other people find us here. As always, you can find me on Instagram at happy.mama.healthy.baby or on the internet at happymamahealthybaby.co. See you next time.